Welcome to The Callover, a Queensland Law Society podcast that hopes to inspire a future of connected, capable and healthy lawyers. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we record this podcast, the Turrbal and Yagara peoples. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to the lawmen and lawwomen who for tens of thousands of years ensured the peace, order and good governance of this place long before it became known as Queensland. I'm Georgia Athanasellis and on this episode I'm speaking with the Honourable Andy Philippides, a retired judge of the Queensland Court of Appeal whose impact upon the legal profession has been far greater than the judgments she penned. Many would know Justice Philippides for her efforts to increase diversity in the profession and bring like-minded lawyers together to promote mental well-being and social inclusion for young lawyers through music and the arts more broadly. We will get to that in a moment, but first, Anthony Philippides, thank you for joining me on International Women's Day. Thank you, Georgia. It's a great pleasure. Now, Judge, your parents immigrated to Australia from Cyprus before you were born. What was it like to grow up as a first-generation Australian? Uh... I I think uh, that uh, it was, um, I suppose, understanding that um, how to uh, bridge your own cultural background with a cultural background that um, didn't reflect um, that heritage that you had. And I think it was, in many respects, I was very fortunate that my parents were uh, people who were very interested in other cultures and so I had the advantage of that curiosity and ways of finding commonality. And from one Hellenic to another, I have to ask, how has your Hellenic background influenced you as a person and as a legal practitioner? I think that it's very important to understand your heritage uh, whatever that is. In terms of my own Hellenic background, uh, uh, I, I grew up in a family my, where particularly my father was very knowledgeable about uh, Greek philosophers and the uh, Hellenic uh, legacy. And so I grew up being very proud of my heritage that informed me as a person. And I suppose as a judge, I was aware of a tradition that did uh, have an influence in legal reasoning and legal systems. So then what made you decide to study law? It was a bit of a a tension really between law and the arts. I, I was I've always been very passionate and interested in the arts, so I did a dual degree, an arts law degree, which allowed me to investigate the arts, but also I found the law as a very interesting structure for dealing with society's issues and problems, so I could see that would be satisfying as well. And and so what made the ultimate decision when you graduated to pursue the law? I think seeing how satisfying the law was to dealing in relation to dealing with societal problems and conflict resolution through peaceful means, rational means, the the focus on rational, fair pathways was very attractive. 
it's particularly momentous to speak to you on International Women's Day because you were the first woman of Hellenic heritage to be admitted as a barrister in Queensland in 1984 and to attain silk in Australia in 1999. Were you aware at the time of any particular challenges that you had to overcome that perhaps your non-immigrant um, counterparts didn't? And if so, how did you cope with that? Well, uh, when I started at the bar, I uh, I suppose ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I uh, hadn't really thought through the fact that there wasn't anyone around me that reflected my pathway. Um, there were women at the bar. Uh, there were amazing female trailblazers. But there was nobody of a non-Anglo-Saxon background. As a woman at the bar with that background, it was um, at times a lonely one. But I also um, was fortunate that there were, you know, allies and people who wanted you to do well. But as I progressed through the law, I realised, and, and at the bar, I realised that it was really important to help make pathways for others. After graduating from your Bachelor of Laws and receiving the University Medal from UQ in 1982, you went on to Cambridge to undertake a Master's of Laws. Can you tell me a little about that experience? Well, it was an amazing experience because um, it was an opportunity to meet uh, young lawyers from all around the world, um, both common law and civil law traditions. And it was very challenging uh, in some respects to have a, a different legal tradition to, 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 to look at the concept of contracts um, without, con- without uh, consideration, which is, you know, the, the civil law system. So that was really important to, to be looking at things from a different lens uh, and it was also an opportunity to be able to dig deep into the law uh, and to think uh, about uh, what I wanted to do with the law, to have a bit of time out, as it were, to uh, consider that. Did you know then where you wanted your career to go? No, I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> and uh, I think my career has really been <laughs> very much like that. Partly, I never, I, I think, Reflecting my background, it was it never occurred to me that I would become a judge. There were no judges, uh, no female judges on the bench of a non-Anglo-Saxon background. That just wasn't an obvious career path for me. But I think uh, you get lured into uh, uh, the law uh, and you get... Uh, you start to take make decisions and one thing leads to another and before you know it, you've spent quite a time at the bar, you become a silk, etc. And we'll get to the many ways that you have managed to do that um, throughout your career in a moment. But I suppose for our listeners who might not understand the process of becoming a barrister and then um, becoming a silk, can you explain that process? Well, the... Uh, legal profession here has both a solicitor's branch and a barrister's branch, as it were. And I did spend some time in a law firm. It seemed to me that being at the bar 
gave you an opportunity to be an advocate for someone. So that was a very attractive pathway for me. The process of becoming silk um, is one whereby, uh, which it's changed over the years, but uh, it's a recognition of a certain standing at the bar. And again, there were no silks <laughs> of like, reflecting my um, particular background. But um, when I became a silk, one of the things about being a silk is also being a leader. And it seemed to me that it was important to take up a leadership role, particularly in the area of diversity. Well, you did make it to a judge um, of the Supreme Court in December 2000 and then to the Court of Appeal in December 2014. And your appointment marked the first appointments of a female lawyer with immigrant parents in Australia to a superior court and an appellate court, respectively. At the time of your appointment, were you conscious that you were paving the way for other practitioners who didn't fit the traditional mould of judge? Yes, uh, I certainly was aware of it by then. <laughs> uh, and I, I was both aware of it and I wanted to say something encouraging about it to others who were in the early stages of their careers. So I did actually allude to it in my the speech I gave uh, when I was sworn in as a judge. And I, I wanted to make the point that... Um, the judiciary is a, a great and important institution in our democracy. It was uh, important that that was seen to be open to all, no matter their background. So that was something that I felt it was important to to say, to, to encourage others to see that as a, a possibility for them. And why do you think it is so important that we have a diverse profession and specifically a, a diverse bench? Well, it's important to have a diverse profession because diversity has been shown time and time again to be absolutely critical in promoting the most innovative thinking, creative thinking, different opinions, rigorous outcomes outcomes that are, are based on rational uh, examination of concepts. So all those things are so critical in the law. And additionally, diversity brings different perspectives. So the law needs diverse voices to consider different ways of doing things and to look at things through different lenses. It's absolutely essential to have a diverse judiciary because we need the third arm of government to reflect the diversity in the community. And if it doesn't, you know, the questions that are asked are what are the, the obstacles? So the different views, the different life experience that uh, one brings to the bench as a judge are uh, important filters. And, you know, it's been over 20 years since uh, I was a judge and we certainly need to see that diversity on the bench. 
I read uh, somewhere that you said there isn't a greater honour that you could have than being a judge of the Supreme Court, which gives me a sense of what your answer to my next question might be. (laughs) Um, But what did your appointment and your time on the bench mean to you personally? Well, if for me, as I said, the law was a very um, presented as a rational uh, way of uh, resolving uh, disputes and 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 governing society, um, and so to me, um, to serve the community to bring all the learning that you uh, have been able to achieve, all the study, uh, all your skills, and to contribute to society in that role. To me, that was a huge honour, and I I personally can't imagine anything that you could do that would, would, would match that. So it was, it's about serving the community and doing it to the best of your ability, a incredibly important part of our democracy. So for me, I think it's the pinnacle. Mm. Well, you've taken that ethos into the plethora of other things that you've done, which I would like to talk about. So we might head there. Um, you've always used your position, whether it is as a barrister, a silk uh, judge, to champion diversity and inclusion in the law whether it's through acting as the patron for the Hellenic Australian Lawyers Association, the Law Orchestra of Queensland, founding the Music and Art Circle, or linking yourselves to and supporting causes like QLS's inaugural Reconciliation Action Plan or Pride in Law. We've touched on why it's important for there to be diversity, but I would like to talk about the significance of those particular organisations and and causes um, that you have championed. Why? Uh, uh, what is the Hellenic Australian Lawyers Association for starters, and and what uh, benefit did that serve at the time it was created, and does it still serve now? Well. I think the common link in all of those things is uh, wanting to find ways to um, and and uh, structures to allow people to um, understand that they belong uh, and that they are invited and included. Um, the Hellenic Australian lawyers. Um, uh, was set up at a time when there were a number of um, judges on the Supreme Court uh, uh, and there was um, also the first um, Chief Justice of Hellenic background, um, uh, Chris Caracas. Uh, and the the concept was to provide a, a platform for the engagement between cultures and the promotion of diversity uh, and understanding the commonality uh, that existed as well. It was also um, uh, a wonderful uh, medium to uh, engage in promoting diversity beyond uh, Hellenic Australian uh, diversity. And so one of the first things that... um, was done in Brisbane uh, by the Queensland branch was um, having a a seminar called um, Embracing Diversity in the Law. 
And at that seminar, a young First Nations uh, law student from Sydney spoke, um, uh, the uh, then Chief Justice of WA, um, uh, the uh, then Attorney General of uh, Queensland, and myself spoke. But I thought it was wonderful that that was an opportunity to hear a young First Nations um, uh, now wonderful <laughs> lawyer um, speaking at a forum and sitting at the bench and speaking in uh, an environment that uh, had not been done before. That must have been a very moving moment for everyone. There. It was a wonderful moment and there was a, 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 a wonderful attendance and, and afterwards William Barton played in the foyer. So it was a, it was a fabulous embracing of diversity. Mm. And anecdotally it's been said to me by other uh, associations that how because it started early and and has continued to thrive um, can be a bit of a, a leader in that space and and other organizations have found sort of inspiration from that there are all sorts of um, associations now with lawyers from all kinds of background the indigenous lawyers association queensland is one the pacifica lawyers association the Asian Australian Lawyers Association and the African Australian Legal Network are just a few of them. So more broadly, what place do you think associations like that continue to have um, in the profession? I think it, they have a, a wonderful uh, role to play and I've um, uh, been involved uh, in different ways with, with I think, almost all of those um, associations. Um I think they play a role in uh, helping to promote pride in your diversity, but also bringing uh, people of a similar pathway together to understand that uh, there is, um, you're not alone, there is a critical mass there. And Generally, it's very difficult for one person to really create change. Generally, change happens when there is that critical mass. So those organisations serve a very important purpose. Mm. Moving to another organisation that I know, I understand you're a patron of, the Lorchestra. <laughs> Why do you think that's such a good call? Well, I should start at the beginning. What is the Lorchestra and why do you think it's such a good cause to get behind? Uh, well, the Lorchestra, um, I can't really claim any credit for the Lorchestra. <laughs> the Lorchestra um, was uh, the result of me talking to a group of young lawyers and encouraging them to come up with ideas and to pitch their ideas and not to be shy about that. And I, I walked straight into a into it because at the end of that, two young <laughs> <laughs> two young uh, lawyers uh, approached me, um, Daniel Trigger and Alice Chester, to <laughs> say, "Well, actually, we have this idea." <laughs> And uh, it was to create this law orchestra. And essentially the, 
the the thinking behind it was to allow uh, lawyers to remain engaged with music, to meet in a relaxed setting, to promote mental uh, well-being and to promote a social, uh, socially supportive group. And they have done an absolutely amazing job. And it's, I think, in to its fifth year, it's had an amazing longevity. The members of the orchestra meet fortnightly with every other week being um, the members of the big band. Mm -hmm. So every week there is a meeting of these extraordinary young lawyers who uh, just do, it is the most beautiful thing to go to listen to rehearsals, which I've done occasionally. Uh, It's incredibly uplifting. And every year uh, they do uh, some concerts. Uh, They have a concert at the end of the year, which is always packed uh, at the old museum and it's a fabulous testament to them. Yes, and what talented lawyers there are out there (laughs) who can do that. Um, Finally, I know the music and art circle that you founded in 2017 is also a passion of yours. Um, Can you explain to me what that is and what you hope to achieve by by that initiative? Well, that started as a very small thing. Basically, I uh, teamed up with initially Music of Eva Australia, who were really generous and interested in the idea of making attendance at concerts um, accessible. And initially it was bringing some young First Nations uh, law students that I was involved with to uh, listen to concerts and to be able to be present in a really supportive environment and it grew and grew and grew and now it's been going for many well since 2017 and there's been over one and a half thousand people attend who've attended and we've linked up with very many arts organizations and it's been wonderful to see young people who might never have considered a particular uh, type of or medium uh, of music uh, or the arts be really interested and engaged, feel supported and come back time and time again. Yes, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. Um, you've had an incredible legal career, but you've also had all these extracurricular um, initiatives. What You've now left the bench, so what does the next chapter look like for you? Well, uh, I think the next chapter is really engaging with young people uh, who I find really inspiring. I, I love the open-mindedness, the interest in new things. Uh, and so in the arts, uh, that's something that will very much in, engage me in the future. But I'm also have been interested in having an opportunity to uh, look at the concept of democracy, how we can do democracy better, which has uh, emerged out of the Hellenic Australian lawyers, I suppose, Um, but also uh, revisit um, some areas of past interest. Um, 
maritime law was actually a, a kind of specialization of mine before I went to before I became a judge and um, I'm very interested in seeing what's happening in the environmental human rights area which is just moving at an incredible pace at the moment and I did something in that area last year and so that will be I think an area going forward just a couple of things to keep you busy. <laughs> Um, well, with all that in mind, what would you like to see the profession look like and, and do in the years to come? Well, it's very important that the profession reflects diversity. The legal profession is an incredibly important one and we can't really fully become the society that we want to become unless we are able to hear diverse voices. So hearing those diverse voices at every echelon in the law, in the uh, partners in law firms, in the managing partners, in the judiciary, that's really important. So I hope we make very fast progress there. And my final question, which I ask everyone, is what advice would you give to your younger self as she began her legal career? I think the best advice is be true to yourself, stay true to yourself, and that should steer you in the right direction. A wonderful note on which to end this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Callover, hit subscribe and please share the link with your friends. And if there's any topic you'd like to hear us discuss or person you think should appear next on The Callover, please get in touch using the contact details in the show notes.